we will continue to celebrate our commitment to evangelism and discipleship and to church planning and to church growth as represented in the stream of Billy Graham. And we will continue to celebrate our commitment to racial justice, to social engagement, to prophetic witness in a world where there's still so many challenges as represented in sort of the Martin Luther King Jr. strand. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Experiencing Christ's love is just the beginning. Pursue your call to love God and love your neighbor at the 2019 CBF General Assembly, June 17 to 21 in Birmingham, Alabama. Join the Cooperative Baptist family as they worship, learn, and grow through innovative training experiences, nightly worship, partner events, and a vibrant exhibit hall with booths, live podcasts, and music. For more information and to register, visit cbf.net slash assembly. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Elijah Brown, General Secretary of the Baptist World Alliance. Now, we actually first spoke with Elijah back in the very first episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. So if you missed that, you can go check out that earlier interview in episode one. But I had an opportunity to sit down with Elijah last month, about 14 months after our first interview, to talk about some of the places and the Baptists that he has visited over the past year. So he's going to be talking about several different contexts, from South and North Korea, to Ukraine, to Bangladesh, as well as some other contexts like Venezuela, where he's been engaging with local Baptists. And so I think it's going to be an exciting conversation to hear little tidbits of what's been happening in several different places among Baptists around the world. I sat down with Elijah last month at Webster Groves Baptist Church in St. Louis, Missouri. He was there to speak at ChurchNet's Spring Gathering. And so later this week, we'll also have a special bonus episode that will have his sermon from that event. We'll talk in even greater detail about some of the exciting things that are happening in Baptist communities around the world and how Baptists in the United States need to engage with their global community. So come back and check out that special bonus episode. But first, here's my conversation with Elijah Brown. All right, well, Elijah, thanks for joining us back on the program. It's a joy to be with you, Brian. We had you way back on what was literally episode one, and now we're about 70 episodes later. When we last talked, you had been on the job for about two months, and you had it all figured out, (laughs) and now it's been closer to about 16 months. So what have you learned? What has surprised you in, in the time since we last talked? Well, Brian, first of all, thank you for all the work that you're doing and that Baptist Without an Adjective is doing to highlight the incredible work of Baptists around the world. And it's been fun to listen in on the podcast, to continue to learn alongside you and alongside many others about how the kingdom of God is expanding through this strange and peculiar people called Baptists. I think as I look back over these last few months in this role, I continue to be amazed at how many Baptists are serving in contexts of incredible challenge, and yet doing so filled with a sense of joy and Holy Spirit purpose, and how we can strive to learn together and to listen together and to serve one another in really a cruciform love 
think the other just sort of general observation is that leadership counts. And whether we're in a local church setting or we're in a convention or denomination somewhere around the world, the degree to which we as individual leaders seek to remain grounded in a personal relationship with the Lord and grounded into growing leadership patterns has really significant implications. But you mentioned some of these challenging contexts. We're going to talk about some different specific contexts that have been kind of hotspots in some ways over the past year, some that you've been to, some that you've engaged in other ways. Uh, So for instance, you went to South Korea. And in particularly, I know you met with some of the, the local Baptists there, but you also went to the demilitarized zone there between South Korea and North Korea, looking out over North Korea. You heard stories from some people who had fled from North Korea. What was that experience like? It was a very moving experience. You go up to the the demilitarized zone. You can visit one of the platforms and look through a kind of a telescope lens and see one of the largest cities in all of North Korea. And it's a it's a shocking and disorienting experience in a way because the city that you are seeing has got high-rise buildings. It looks very modern. But then the guides who are with you highlight that there is no electricity inside that city, that those high-rise buildings are really and truly a facade, that those who live inside of them are still peasants who must walk up flights of stairs, who have apartments with no air conditioning and no windows that open to the outside world. So it's, it's a country which really needs our ongoing prayers. And there on the border, you sense both some of the challenges that that those inside North Korea have faced, but also a real sense of hope that that reconciliation, even after all these many years, is still possible. We'll talk about other border, and it's probably not surprising in a, a global organization that's all about the gospel transcending these nationalistic lines that we have drawn, that we find ourselves drawn to some of the borders. In September last year, you and other leaders from Baptist World Alliance and European Baptist Federation went to eastern Ukraine. And we've actually had a couple of people on the program. Uh, Yelsey Pronin is a church planter in eastern Ukraine. He's been on a couple of times. Ali Lee talked about the trip that you went on as well. But I wanted to ask about that, of, of going to the gray zone and, and thereby the occupied territories that are still under war and under militia rule there in the eastern part of Ukraine. There's two sets of stories here. One set of stories are the very real challenges that pastors and and others inside the occupied territories are facing on a daily basis. When we were there, we were very fortunate to have a group of pastors and church leaders from inside the two occupied territories, the Donetsk and the Lugansk regions, come over and spend an evening with us. And one of those leaders shared that the persecution that he as a church leader was facing today was worse than anything that he had experienced during the time of USSR communism. So that just gives us a little glimpse into the real challenges that inside the occupied territories, many of our brothers and sisters are facing. And we've had ongoing updates since then. Just two weeks ago, we had a delegation of youth leaders, some of whom serve in that gray zone, visit us at our BWA headquarters in Falls Church, Virginia. And one of them was sharing, and we've since confirmed it with others, that there are currently three pastors who are incarcerated inside one of those occupied territories, and that one of the Baptist churches there was taken over just a month ago and is now being 
used as a government facility. So we need to continue to highlight these ongoing realities. Even inside the gray zone, there are many challenges. When we were there, the irony was that the UN Security Council was meeting those very same days and were voting, or in this case, not voting, to send peacekeepers and monitors of peace to that very gray zone. Thousands of bombs are continuing to fly over in that area. Fields have been laced with landmines. We visited a small rural hamlet where some of the elderly people described as they head headed into the winter season, this winter, should we purchase coal to heat our homes or food to eat? Because it's going to be one or the other. In the older days, they said our men would go out into the the forest and they would collect wood to help in these difficult months. But those woods are now laced with landmines. And every year we lose one or two of our men, our sons, as they seek to go out and try to provide something in our desperate situation. So these stories are real and continuing. The second set of stories is about how the Baptist churches have sought to respond And many of the Baptist churches have been very proactive in engaging the situation in creative and sustained ways, including in humanitarian aid. One of the churches there over these last four years has grown, for example, from 15 people to 120 people. They are seeing many, especially those from the occupied territories who have come over, find Jesus Christ for the very first time. One of the area leaders who's done so much incredible work, just to give you an example, they had received a small grant and they turned that grant in and they bought a bread producing factory. Now, it's very small. They they only do a couple hundred loaves a day, but half of the loaves that they make, they give away to refugees for free. The other half, they sell to the local pre-existing community, and the proceeds from those sales are then going to help in church planting and church outreach efforts there inside the gray zone. And this pastor said, we are experiencing a second revival right now inside the gray zone, and we are really witnessing incredible actions of the Lord, and we wish that there were even more who are partnering with us right now because this is a season of harvest. He then went on to say, we have heard it. Many people say that the church is sometimes only a mouth that speaks. Here in the gray zone, we want to be a church with hands and feet as we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. That gray zone is that region around the occupied territories that still experiences some violence, some threats of war. And like as you said, there are a lot of refugees or internally displaced persons. And then inside the occupied territories themselves, the BWA had a resolution last year at the annual gathering in Zurich, Switzerland on this topic of religious liberty has really just been shut down there. The Baptists are not allowed to worship publicly and openly because they're not registered with the new governments. And even if they wanted to register, they're not allowed to. Baptists are not even allowed to to register. And yet there are still some pastors. I know EBF has been supporting them that are staying there in the occupied territories to minister. What do we know? I know information is a lot harder inside the occupied territories as opposed to the gray zone. What do we know happening in there? 
Well, that's exactly right, and it is a very complicated situation. Laws had been passed by those temporary governments, really requiring all of the churches to register. And then some of the Baptist churches tried to register and were, you know, sent on wild goose chases for paperwork, which always seemed to be missing. And so, about a about a month ago, the local government said that the registration process had been completed, and that all those churches that had not registered would be shut down. Their buildings would be forfeited to the government, and that those who continued to gather in homes and engage in worship were then doing so illegally. They have been since that time period, just over these last you know three to four weeks since that time period, they have been pulling aside pastors. They'll often arrest them and hold them for. I'm told five days, six days, seven days, and then release them. And then, you know, maybe wait another 10 days, see if they're still holding a worship service and then rearrest them for another week. It seems to be less about the arrest and more about ongoing intimidation. And it is a real opportunity for all of our church family to come together and to pray and to stand alongside them. And so I applaud the efforts of EBF. And really, the whole Ukrainian Baptist Convention have been very diligent in seeking to address these areas proactively. And while at the same time, across Ukraine, really seeing significant kingdom growth and kingdom engagement, really powerful works in their seminaries and in church planting efforts. And just just this last week, the Baptist World Alliance made a decision, and we've, we've contacted the Ukrainian Baptist Convention to send another $20,000, $10,000 of humanitarian aid and $10,000 to help with ongoing ministry, both of which are occurring inside the occupied territory. So we at the BWA will continue to remain engaged and call upon all of us to to join with our brothers and sisters at this time. Well, about a month after that, then I don't think you you went there, but you've been engaged in the situation in Bulgaria. And this one is a little happier ending than what we're seeing so far still in in Eastern Ukraine. What happened in Bulgaria? And this, I think, is a good example of, of the power of the global Baptist community coming together. Well, in late October, the Bulgarian government introduced a surprise law that, among many other things, said that only those individuals who had received government-approved training would be allowed to conduct a worship service, and that the only training that they would approve would be those who had attended a Orthodox, that's a big O, capital Orthodox denomination seminary, or those who belong to the Muslim faith. And they introduced this law as a first reading and said, we'll have a second reading in about 30 to 45 days. And it was assumed that that law would pass. And just like that, there's 120 Baptist churches in Bulgaria. They were under immediate threat of being legislated out of legality. That also applied to Catholics and Lutherans and Pentecostals and and even Jewish. There's a few Jewish synagogues there. And so many of us were deeply concerned. It was a law that was supported by both of the primary parties, had widespread support across the government, and it was assumed that this was going to pass. First of all, we must celebrate the incredible actions of the Bulgarian Baptists and other evangelicals inside the country. For seven Sundays in a row, they gathered in public protest. And as they gathered, they asked not for exemption for the Baptist church, but for religious freedom for all. Some of those Sundays, there were very small gatherings of maybe only a couple hundred. Some of those Sundays had rather large gatherings of several thousand. Some of those Sundays, they gathered in sleet and snow that was falling and, and, you know, just in buckets. 
And alongside the wonderful and inspiring actions of Baptists inside Bulgaria, then came alongside the international community. The Baptist Road Alliance mobilized. We asked our Religious Liberty Commission to be engaged. We asked our UN representatives to be engaged. And we had action inside Europe and the OSCE, as well as in in New York and in Washington, D.C. And we asked Baptists from around the world to send letters to the Bulgarian embassy inside their country. And we know letters were sent in Romania and in Jordan and in Brazil and in the United States. And all of these elements came together. And the Friday before Christmas, the government, to the surprise of all, said, we've reconsidered the religious laws that we were going to pursue, and all of those restrictions were removed. And so we can thank God that today, 120 Baptist churches inside Bulgaria are active, they're open, they're living out their gospel witness, often predominantly in a Roma gypsy context, striving to make an impact for Jesus Christ. And that is possible because of Baptists around the world coming together. Well, as we kind of move around the globe and kind of learn a little bit more about some of these Baptist communities, another one that you've been engaged in now this calendar year has been in Venezuela, which has been in the news. There's a significant humanitarian crisis there. There's some political upheaval, but it's also entrapped some of our Baptist leaders there in Venezuela. Brian, you're exactly right. The situation in Venezuela is heartbreaking. It's a country that is on the precipice and really needs all of our prayers and all of our support at this time. Earlier this year, the BWA released $30,000 in humanitarian grant to stand alongside Venezuela and those who are ministering with Venezuelan refugees. There are many in Brazil and in Colombia and in Argentina who have really wonderful ministries that are reaching out at this time. Inside Venezuela, earlier this year, the youth leader, Gregory Jose Perez, was visiting some friends in a particular city when some protests happened nearby. And the police dispelled the protesters and then went through the neighborhood. And anybody who happened to be in the neighborhood at that time were simply arrested in that Young youth leader Gregory Perez was arrested, although there was no evidence supporting the fact that he had been with the protesters, although there were many who were willing to testify that he was there visiting longstanding friends and had not participated, he was charged as a terrorist. He was put in prison, and I visited with his lawyer over the phone, and I said, well, how's he doing? And and the lawyer said, well, he's struggling. But within the first week of him being incarcerated, he'd already led five Bible studies inside the prison. And so she said he is, he is still trying to serve the Lord and, and serve in ministry. Well, we were able to get together a letter and send it to a number of the local judges involved in the case. Around 30 other individuals were also caught up in that sweep, some of them being teenagers. And so we asked for the release of Gregory as well as for all of those who were detained and for whom there was no evidence. And very grateful to say that in late February, Gregory was released. Now, it is likely that he will still have to go back to court and face some of these charges, as all of the charges have not been dropped, though he was released to home arrest. And so I would ask all of us as we listen together, would you continue to pray for Gregory Perez and pray that all of these charges would be dropped against him and that he would be allowed to continue to serve as the youth leader inside the country of Venezuela. That's his heart. That's his passion. 
it's not his full-time job. His full-time job is an engineer, and he also wants to continue to work to strengthen the the well-being of the country as a whole. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters in Venezuela. Just two weeks ago, they met in their National Assembly. Although there were rolling blackouts, although the currency has inflated to 12,000%, although famine and, and hunger and starvation is real, still our brothers and sisters gather together to say, we will give praise to Jesus Christ. Well, a couple of these stories have some some happy endings, but I want to want to go to uh, just a, maybe a more good news trip in general for you. You're not always just dealing with some of these these meaty, important, but you know, difficult religious liberty issues. You went to Bangladesh. Uh, I've heard you share some stories about that trip, and I know it was a very inspiring time with the Baptists there. I wonder if you could tell us, what did you see among the Baptists there in Bangladesh? There are three Baptist conventions in Bangladesh. The smallest of them is the Garo Baptist Convention, which relates to one particular ethnic tribe, which has people in, in both India and on the Bangladeshi side. The next is the Bangladesh Baptist Church that is connected to more of the European and BMS missions and traces its roots all the way back to William Carey. And then the third is the Bangladesh Baptist Church Fellowship. And the BBCF just celebrated its 100th year anniversary. And it was just so exciting to be there at their retreat center about 50 miles north of the capital city. Several thousand people were in attendance from across Bangladesh as we released balloons up into the sky, 100 balloons into the sky for their 100th anniversary and had birthday cake and planted trees and just celebrated together that how the Lord has been faithful to them for a hundred years, he will continue to be faithful to them as they continue to seek to follow after him. And while they have celebrated a hundred years, really over 70% of their growth has occurred in the last 50 years. And the majority of that has occurred over the last 25 years. And I was so inspired one evening as I sat there next to a particular individual. And I said, well, brother, would you share your story with me? And he said, well, I'm a church planner. I said, well, how long have you been church planning? He said, oh, about 40 years. And I said, well, can you tell me about you know one of the churches you planted? And he said, well, which one? Over these last 40 years, I've helped plant 60 different churches And it's inspiring to continue to meet modern-day Pauls, individuals who've sold out everything for Jesus Christ to continue to serve him. And that is in a context where in Bangladesh, you have the largest unreached people group in the world. And so here we have an opportunity to witness firsthand a group of Baptists working together to support indigenous missionaries and indigenous church planners reaching out to the largest unreached people group in the world. It was encouraging. You talked about the growth that's been happening there recently and, and for Baptist in the United States and as well as in Europe, you know, we feel the the plateauing or decline of our numbers. But you've been talking a lot lately about this is a really exciting time globally for Baptists. These are some numbers that you've shared about the growth over the last decade, that Baptists and the BWA have grown globally 31%. And when we start to break that down, we see Baptists in Latin America grew 33% over the last decade. Baptists in the Caribbean grew 43%. Baptists in Africa grew 161%. These are some, some remarkable numbers, and it's an exciting story to see and to be a part of. It is. And, you know, we're living in such a dynamic paradigm shift. 
just in the last 10 years, Baptists in Africa have grown from 7 million to almost 19 million. And within the BWA family, of course, there are Baptists outside of the BWA family, but within our BWA family of 47 million believers, somewhere in the next three to four years, there will be more Baptists on the continent of Africa than any other continent. Well, how can we live and lean into that reality? How can we celebrate that reality? How can we partner and have a partnership mentality as we continue to move forward? And more and more, how can we learn from these, our brothers and sisters who are sensing and seeing God's growth in really remarkable ways? And Brian, one of of the things I'd like to say is an invitation to anyone who is listening, come and experience it yourself. Next summer in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, the last week of July, we will have a worldwide Congress that is open to any and every Baptist. And you can come and experience with 4,000 other people what it is like to be part of a truly growing, global, dynamic family. Well, that was going to be my last question, but I'm not surprised that you already went there, making the pitch for Rio in 2020. It's exciting to be there, worship in many languages, prayer and Bible reading and and singing, communion together as a global Baptist family. And it really is a unique experience, unlike anything else. And it only happens every five years. Where can people learn more about this? Well, we hope you go to the website, bwa2020.org, bwa2020.org. You can find out all the details. We were last in Rio de Janeiro in 1960. It gives you a glimpse into who the BWA has been and who we will continue to be. In 1960, two of the most prominent guests were Billy Graham and Martin Luther King Jr. And as we enter into this 2020 Congress next year, we will continue to celebrate our commitment to evangelism and discipleship and to church planning and to church growth as represented in the stream of Billy Graham. And we will continue to celebrate our commitment to racial justice, to social engagement, to prophetic witness in a world where there's still so many challenges as represented in sort of the Martin Luther King Jr. strand. And we will hold these together as a wonderful family That Wednesday night, we will open up with a parade of flags, 125 nations and territories of our Baptist family coming together. And we will close, as you said, Brian, on Sunday morning with a global Baptist communion. My first experience of one of these Congresses changed my life. And I believe it has the power to do that for every one of us, to deepen our spirituality, to awaken us to ministry that we never thought possible, and to introduce us to friends from around the world. So I hope you'll join us, bwa2020.org. All right. Well, thank you so much, Elijah, for all that you're doing, all that you're doing on behalf of Baptists around the world and to share the stories from Baptists to other Baptists around the world. And thanks for your time here on the program. It's a joy as always to be with you, Brian. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview of Elijah Brown. Don't forget to come back in a couple of days and we'll have that special bonus episode of his sermon from ChurchNet's Spring Gathering. You can learn more about the Baptist World Alliance at bwanet.org. Not only can you learn more there, but you can also check out a couple of past episodes of Baptist Without an Adjective. We specifically talked about a couple of conversations we've had regarding Eastern Ukraine. You can hear conversations with Yelisi Pronin in both episodes 9 and 22. And you can also learn more from Heli Leek of the European Baptist Federation in episode 42. You can learn more about us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. If you have comments or feedback, please email me at bkaler at wordandway.org. 
And if you'd like to support this program, you can head to wordandway.org and hit the donate button. Whatever you give there will help the production of this podcast, as well as our monthly magazine and our website. Thanks for listening.